Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. My name is Dr. Bobby Maybe, and our guest today is Gray Cook. Gray Cook is a physical therapist, orthopedic certified specialist, and certified strength and conditioning coach. His developments in movement pattern screen and assessment are at the forefront of fitness, physical conditioning, injury prevention, and physical rehabilitation. He's distinguished among manual therapists for his degree of precision, accuracy, and consistency in considering movement as a behavior, mapping and deconstructing movement patterns, and rebuilding movement following natural developmental paths. He's the co-founder of Functional Movement Systems and author of Athletic Body and Balance and Movement. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about his new book, The Business of Movement, which is also contributed to with uh, Dr. of Physical Therapy, Jeremy Hall and is a physical therapist, strength and conditioning coach, clinical consultant, writer, and is the founder of Resilient Movement. And it is also contributed by uh, Matt Cook, Gray Cook's brother, who draws on his two decades in the nonprofit sector to support Gray and FMS in collaborative thought, editing, and content production. And there are multiple other contributors to this book if you have not read it yet. Uh, The book Business of Movement might throw some off. So in two different ways, you might be thrown off. There are people that are sort of allergic to business-related topics when it comes to uh, their area of focus in practice. They really want to focus on the clinical-based stuff and sort of avert their eyes to business-related topics. And there are other people that really, really, really want the business nuts and bolts of the world uh, to help operate their practices this book is neither for either of you. The business of movement is not about how to set up your taxes or hire an assistant uh, or any of those other really specific business type of items. And it is also not a book to avert your eyes to when we talk about business, because basically the tenets of this book or the business tenets of this book come down to how to make what you do so excellent that people could not resist using you as their movement professional. So the business, uh, I guess you would say theme of the business of movement is focusing on how to make yourself so excellent that uh, your business can't help to grow because of it. Uh, If you have not read the book yet, very highly recommended. Uh, It is a great cook classic with what you would call all your gray cookisms and uh gray and myself have been talking about this book for months now prior to this podcast uh so this interview may sound like we are talking about something that we've been talking about for months uh and not for the introductory folks at times so if you want an introduction to the business of movement get the book and read it now here's something for the chiropractors that are listening that should interest you quite a bit the idea of being a holistic healthcare provider, uh, holistic and natural, utilizing movement and rehabilitation and our knowledge of kinematics and everything that surrounds that, that's what this book is all about. Understanding some of the movement red flags or movement yellow flags 
that need to be addressed in other systems of the body, particularly breathing and sleep, a way to assess, categorize, uh, and then deploy some sort of intervention for those things is in this book. Uh, so all those dreams you ever had about dealing with pers a person as a whole person, as a whole body person, instead of just hoping that uh, exercise or rehab is the answer to everything, uh, this is the book for you. So make sure you check it out. Once again, it's called The Business of Movement, Principles, Patterns, and Productivity. And enjoy this interview with Gray Cook. But we always do housekeeping first. Welcome, everyone, to Forward, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. My name is Dr. Bobby Maybe. Let's get some of this housekeeping out of the way before we get started with our guest, our partners and sponsors. There are two partners that we have, Gray Cook. Uh, um, these are not sponsors. They don't give us money. We give them money because we believe in their process. One is called CARL. It's the Chiropractic Academy of Research Leadership. They take young chiropractors that want to do research. They want to be scientists and they help them. They teach them how to publish. They teach them how to um, do the dirty work of getting the, that stuff actually done. And then a lot of them go on to get their PhDs. So that we really believe in that process, that project. So we support Carl and we also support World Spine Care. World Spine Care is interdisciplinary. So they have PTs and chiros and other uh, uh, professionals and researchers and MDs. It's led by um, Elon Musk's uncle, actually, uh, Scott Haldeman, MD, PhD, DC. And what they do is they set up clinics around the world to try to put a dent in the global burden of spine pain. And they have clinics in the Dominican Republic, in Africa, and elsewhere, and they bring evidence-based care uh, for spine pain to the world. So we do fundraisers for them, and we support them. We try to spread the word. It's not one of the, you know those, Gray, you know those missionary trips where people go to treat people in underserved countries, and it's really just a photo op for themselves? <laughs> yes, they, sir. They hang out for a couple of weeks, and they head back home with no... Third world vacation. Right. And, you know, but what happens to the people that you left in the quote unquote third world? Uh, you never understand the process or the progress or what they have to live to. It was really for your photo op. This is not World Spine Care. They are invested in these communities and really trying to make a difference. So we support them. Now, our sponsors, they give us money. But we we vet our sponsors. We love them. Uh, and we want to make sure that we we promote good products. So the Jane app, the Smart Chiropractor, China Gel. Pyroup.com, T-Tool, Drop Release, Gestalt Education, Hyperice, uh, the Chiropractic Success Academy, and uh, that should cover it for sponsors. They keep this podcast going, and they give me the time and energy, energy and space to talk to great people such as Gray Cook, um, whose bio you heard before we got started. It's I already recorded it before we, we talked, Gray, and it's long. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm, I'm glad you didn't make things. me sit through that. I appreciate it. What we're talking about today is the business of movement. So we got to talk about this thing called the business of movement. New book, well, new book for some. It's not new book because I think I've read it through a couple times now. It's been out. Um, you unless you you were on a Chinese spy balloon that just recently popped and you fell back to earth or you've been living under a rock during the pandemic, you may not know about this book, The Business of Movement. You may not even know about Gray Cook because obviously we get students and new folks that come into our professions and, and come into the movement world. So 
what is this book all about? Encapsulate. I'm going to do the hardest. Tell me about the book in three minutes. If you had to look at a concept, if you had to reimagine chiropractic, physical therapy, or any form of physical rehabilitation from physiatry to osteopathy, what would we do different if we could reinvent it? And I think we use the word holistic in a very cavalier and nonchalant way, not realizing that if you're going to meet people at a movement problem and be their solution, then since nobody else is looking at the things that poison movement upstream, as well as a better way to deconstruct movement, you're going to actually be the biggest part of the musculoskeletal health epidemic. We are sitting right at the crossroads of an epidemic because when you look at musculoskeletal risk factors like obesity, pain with movement, reduced physical activity, you also see the people that died quickest and became most disabled by the pandemic. So the metabolic system and musculoskeletal system should not be separated in practice, but we each got to stay in our lane. Things are getting ready to change. I don't want to see chiropractors and physical therapists take a back seat to this. If we're going to take a holistic approach to the body, let's get the hell up and do it. And you don't have to have a reduced profit margin to do that. You've got to outsmart the people who want to stay in silos. And this is how to do that. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I'm going to give you some backstory about Cairo. You may or may not know about this, but we call it in our profession the bait and switch. So when a young person goes through pre-med training or whatever, and they have all these choices in the world, can I try to be a medical doctor? Should I be a nurse? Should I be a physical therapist, a chiropractor? You know, and they go and ask all the questions. In the, in the beginning, the, chiropra the prospective chiropractic student is told, we treat the whole body. Holistic, right? Was always the key yep. word. We teach chiropractors not just to manage the spine, but to manage nutrition and exercise and sleep, and then they throw in the movement and the rehab portions. And that's going to make somebody, a young person, really, really excited. They're like, oh man, this sounds like a great profession. I get to do all these things naturally, you know, without without drugs or surgery. Let's do this. That's the bait. The switch is the old switch, the I don't know, 30s, 40s, 50s, that old switch was, oh, by the way, we're going to tell you now, Mr. or Miss Chiropractor, how you treat the whole body is you crack bones in the spine and that fixes everything, right? That was the holistic yep. approach, pop, pop and pray. We're going to pop something and it fixes headaches and acne and depression. Yep. And, and then, you know, the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, nutritional education came, then it was this holistic approach, like, well, now chiropractors are going to do spine care and then they're going to do nutrition and they're going to do all these other things um and that was the bait and switch nowadays i think our profession is so intertwined or aligned or similar to the pt profession that a lot of the chiropractors of practice they don't do any of that holistic stuff at all they right. don't really consider sleep or you know this because you wrote the damn book you're like i'm telling you you guys aren't doing all this stuff but they gave up that they gave up that legacy of holistic practice a long time ago. There well, are still know, some that do nutrition, but they'll just do nutrition. They'll specialize in it. Or I, I love the fact that we're just going to air our professional dirty laundry because there used to be no such thing as a respiratory therapist. Physical therapists used to evaluate, treat, and integrate the respiratory system with the movement system. Sort of like 
they've been doing for 4,000 years with yoga and martial arts is right. never teach a movement that you don't teach the corresponding breath. When I went through the RKC and became Kettlewell certified, Pavel showed us, showed us how to brace for the swing and showed us how to survive a very ballistic, high pressure movement with a little bit of breath organization. We didn't have to overplank the damn thing. The signature breath of a thrust or a shot put is the protective breath, which is completely different than the breath we bring to a sun salutation or holding a musical note. Yet we can play this whole array of breaths as signature ways to facilitate movement and that can carry right over into rehabilitation. With a breath, I can make it hard for you to roll or easy for you to roll, even if you barely have a core. And so how did physical therapy lose respiratory therapy as a whole nother specialty? And to this day, I don't know how we do our profession without integrating that, that signature breath with the move we're trying to do. I even put a video up on uh, YouTube. It's on a short reversing the breathing pattern on a kettlebell swing and inhaling on the way up, but it's not a maximal exertion. And for people with poor core stability, the breath signature is all the ping they need sometimes to get that breath synced back up. So dirty laundry, um, chiropractic, you know, could be more holistic and PTs need to forget, don't need to forget that the diaphragm is a muscle too, and damn near the most important one in many cases. So, <laughs> Well, the yeah. idea was to be able to measure all of these things, to pay attention to all these things and at least include them in your observations. And I, I feel personally that there are a lot of the younger chiropractors that have given up that concept. Um, well, especially I, when it comes to breathing and sleep. Yeah, and, and I'd like I'd like to make it easy and popular for them to re-embrace that, you know, for the exact same reason they dropped it. We dropped it because we forgot it was important. And if we remember that it is important, then there's no reason why your advice and care can't be a profit margin. But, you know, I also see people looking at the business of movement in a different way. There was a, uh, I forget where I saw the picture, but it was a, uh, a clinician, I think he's a chiropractor and a patient, but this could easily be physical therapy and they're holding a cup. My 2000th visit. Now, Hey, that's a, I yeah, think, <laughs> it's 900. It's a 900 right. visit mug. Yeah, that's chiropractic. <laughs> Something that like that. But let me tell you something. How would you feel about a third grade teacher that says, I've had this kid in my class for four consecutive years. They're my favorite yeah. class. I mean, he's so happy. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I think both of these people probably just needed a friend, but, but I don't know if I, I can't, I can tell you exactly. That's not why I got here. They're yeah. uh, philosophically speaking as a strength coach and as a physical therapist and with my other credentials, I am targeting one physical attribute as my bullseye for you when I meet you. And if you're a professional athlete or a tactical superstar, or you're at the tip of the spear of the U.S. military or fire service, I am going to help you perform. Performance is the goal. You're going to have to show in your state of readiness is going to have to be there and you're going to have to give up your independence. I'm going to tell your ass how to sleep and I'm going to tell your ass how to work out and I'm going to increase your durability and you're going to follow the program or just like Nick Saban would tell you, you're not part of this process. You're out of here. So I'm going to run your life and you, you will see that we have to do that in the military and fire service because we ask you to hard charge. So we need to help you with your state of readiness. But the flip is also true as a community physical therapist based in my hometown, 
more often than not, I am giving you independence. So you're either sitting in my presence to elevate your performance or elevate your independence. If you need more independence, I'm going to have to turn stuff like your balance and your core stability into a performance metric, and you got to meet that. So if you want independence, you're going to have to hit performance goals to get that back. And if you want performance, you're going to have to have better self-care or your state of readiness ain't going to be what we need. And it's not my fault that you're going to bed at 2 a.m. It's your fault. So it's a really neat dichotomy that if you want to be independent, I got to issue you some responsibility. And if you want to have performance, you better give up some of your autonomy because that's just the way it works. And so I can switch from my coach to my clinician hat the minute I know which one of these you want. You can't have them both. You just can't have them both. <laughs> so it, that's one of those so little secret hidden gems of this book is even though it's titled The Business of Movement, I think some people will be dissatisfied that it's not a business book. They get excited. <laughs> but that is that is the business nuggets that exist within the book. Sometimes you have to decide when you're going to be the coach. And sometimes you have to decide when you're going to be sort of the, what would you call the other side? The, the sage, the parole, <laughs> the parole officer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, how many times have people come to you and me both and ask us to give them some wisdom about a corrective strategy, particularly an exercise, maybe for somebody who's responding to back care, but we know we got to get them more active and stuff like that. They come to me for a corrective exercise. But I say, what are we doing to protect the downside? Good financial management is number one, protect your investments, play defense, win Super Bowls, right? right. Let's protect the situation from not getting worse. So a typical conversation with me and somebody halfway through back care, what could you do right now to turn this backward? Oh, if I tried to start my lawnmower right now, I'm pretty sure I'd ping. If I played more than nine holes of golf on a cold day, I think I'd stiffen up. If I don't get at least five hours sleep, my back's going to go out. Good. Can we agree not to do any of that? As a matter of fact, let's double down. Let's try to get seven hours sleep. Let's not play more than nine holes of golf, you know, and let's right. get an electric lawnmower, right? Boom. I protected the downside. Now let's get back over here. I don't care whether it's a dead bug or a side plank. We can talk that all day, but if you don't protect the downside, don't ask me for the corrective. You so protect before you correct. So yeah, there's a lot of process over systems discussions. So you mm -hmm. have to you have to believe in process. Obviously, FMS as total, I mean, the name has systems in it, but it's process oriented. You have to believe Well, and think about that, the dichotomy you just brought up. You're going to pick every one of your listeners somewhere in their career, pick process or protocol. Protocol is mm -hmm. easier. Yeah. But you don't, you see a line cook doing protocol and you see a chef doing process. That's right. Taste the soup. You'll know, right? Don't yeah. trust the soup, taste the soup. <laughs> and, and if you're not willing to taste your own soup on daily, weekly, quarterly cycles, then you may not be dispensing the product you think. When I move back to my hometown, uh, it's a small town. My dad was a Methodist minister here and everybody knows my family and I know pretty much everybody. You don't get rid of your problems. You see them in Walmart, you see them on the golf course, you see them at church, you see them at the, you know, the softball game. So everybody that walks out of your clinic isn't satisfied. They aren't handing out your business card. They aren't telling people flattering stories about you. And it's better if you just go ahead and know that now. 
And just because you give them a survey when they're trying to get the hell out of your office on the last day does not mean that's the truth. It does not. Watch there, watch the way they behave. I think Steve Jobs was one of the guys that said, listen, if you just want to sell a bunch of stuff, keep lowering the price. But if people will suffer an inconvenience to consume your product, that's what you call loyalty. Apple computers were never cheaper than PCs, right? But Apple fans would suffer an inconvenience to demonstrate that product loyalty with their iPod, their pad, their phone, their computer. So I always early in my career wanted to control the situation, realizing that my play clinically, my standard operating procedure, my manual therapy background, my treatment modalities, and my evaluation is going to yield about an 80-20 success rate. I'm going to be wrong 20% of the time. And I'm not being cocky. I've tested that. And if you have good systems in place and a good staff to help you enforce those, you are measuring a positive influence without a negative side effect about 80% of the time. It might not be as fast as some people want, but they took 10 years getting out of shape and they need to be in shape in 10 weeks. Sometimes you got to work with that. But what I'm saying is, if I'm changing your balance, if I'm changing your movement, if I'm changing your mobility, if I'm changing your pain-free days, we're making progress. 20% of the time, I'm going to need to reevaluate the situation and make sure I was a good orthopedist, or I've got to look for an upstream influence that will poison movement no matter how much good movement I issue. And so the, the dichotomy you run to is, is your movement broken? And if it is, I'm a good movement guy, I can fix it. Or are you breaking your movement? And if there are cycles in your life, in your sleep, hydration, behavioral health, mental health, that are throwing curveballs to your mind-body connection, I'm not going to be able to fix that without a second layer of care, which is right back to that holistic model. So you should be 80-20 in your orthopedic success. 20% are going to need you to lean in more and manage a little bit more of them than just their ankle mobility or low back pain. But that's okay because I don't have to become a nutritionist, sleep expert, or get a respiratory therapy thing. If I screen right. sleep, it's either good enough or it's not. If I screen breathing, it's good enough or it's not. If I screen your emotional well-being, your activity level, your BMI, and your past medical history, it's either good enough or it's not. And if it's not in my wheelhouse to treat that, at least I can get a allied health professional or colleague to treat you with that. But plan on 80-20, double down on the 20, and you'll have a holistic practice. But you're going to miss it 20% of the time if you're good. You're going to miss it way more than that if you're not. Oh, yeah. So this is um, what the conversation we're having here is a conversation between experts and those who want to be experts. So this is this is. I don't know if you picked up on this stuff from experience working with military folks, but when I was in the Air Force, this was obviously the OODA loops were a common conversation we always had. And this is just an OODA loop conversation. You know, it's observe, orient, decide, and act. And you really, I mean, your first job is to observe, but the orientation, deciding, and acting comes from experience. And if you, um, if you haven't seen yeah, enough no. of these, you know, what's going to happen? You're not going to make the right decision. Well, I'm, I'm highly influenced by the military and, and unlike yourself, I have not served. I've, I've, I've been a consultant. I've been in a lot of different places, but I appreciate the efficiency of speak in, yeah. in the military. Obviously you can get BS in any conversation, but 
if you're thinking about something like getting a pilot ready or sniper school or getting the physical state of readiness of a SEAL or first responder where it needs to be, you're dispensing with a lot of the fluff and ego that's associated with that. And we're right back to measurables. The one the, one the military is, is, seems to be blind on is stop running so much. <laughs> you know, there, there are ways we can keep the physical state of readiness actually better if we don't run so much. However, I said this at SOCOM maybe 15, 20 years ago, sitting beside Mark uh, Verstegen and Mike Boyle. The one thing we've got to tell military, especially the people in the higher physical attributes of military, what got you here won't keep you here. That's right. The the abuse we put you through, getting you physically ready and beating you down and watching how you recovered and managed your own physical state was not for your development. That was for your, for your selection. Now that we've selected you, let's develop you. And if you think development means higher performance, we're going to get you to a 40-inch vertical leap. That's not what that means. That means you will find homeostasis no matter how hard we push you, which means you understand your recovery. You understand your stress and you know, if you got 50 pounds on your back for eight hours, you're not going to be able to continuously treat that like CrossFit. You're going to have to eat that elephant in small bites, but it can be done. And so I appreciate the efficiency that we bring to military speak. And I also like the Petri dish we can look at because when we go in and change the physical state of readiness in a professional football team or in a military um, group, it's a pretty closed environment. We can control a lot. And if we institute better physical behaviors, it pops right out the other end. Non-contact injuries go down, um, you know, uh, and recovery um, is quicker because we're going to be in a situation where injuries are more frequent. But as we've seen in the fire service, the lowest movement screens take the longest to recover even when they receive the same injury as somebody with a high movement screen. So if you move great and blow your ACL, that's a whole different rehab than you can't touch your toes, you've never been able to deep squat, you're 30 pounds overweight and you blow your ACL. Oh, and by the way, both your ankles are shot. That's, I don't even call you an ACL. ACL is the least of your problems. Because They're different humans too. The military one's a, ca a captive motivated audience. They want to exactly. maintain. They want to maintain readiness, force readiness. They want to not let down teammates. They want to keep their position on whatever team they've earned, and things of that nature. Your folks that are coming in with extracurricular, long-term challenges. Yeah. Um, the ones that we want to give freedom to. Uh, they've yes. been their own prison. They've been their own captive. They've been captive right. to their own habits for so long. You, you can't even free them from those things until they understand that they are problems in the first place. And it is. And the misinformation has never been more accessible because if you do research on Google, the first five things you're going to see are sponsored by people who want to profit from you, but not necessarily have a relationship or help you. If they don't have to have a relationship and they can just get your money, that is the easiest way to have a business. Reduce relationship you know, and go for transaction, not transformation. We wouldn't be on this podcast if we weren't going for transformation. And that's valued too. We can value that. And, and I think we can value it because I would like to say that one of the biggest pushbacks I've ever gotten in my career is people don't have time for a movement screen 
but they got time for stupid human tricks in the gym. People don't have time for a thorough musculoskeletal head to toe exam. They already think they know your problem. It's just a meniscus. What else could it be? Well, it could be poor balance on the opposite leg, which doesn't really set up a good rehab situation, right? So I've always heard, I don't have time to aim. I like shooting. I like dry needling. I like manipulating joints. I like doing kettlebell swings. So I don't have time to do the recon, but I sure would like to take this hill. And I'm like, there's no sense in that whatsoever. And there's a great book, um, The Mission, The Men, and Me. And, and, and it comes from military speak, but it basically talks about the best way to get to information is almost like Lewis and Clark did, meaning you can't pack all the food for this journey when you're sitting with Thomas Jefferson, right? And he's yeah. charging you to go find the, the, the path to the West. Right. You've got to be resourceful where you land and a movement model, whether you're in a one room clinic or a, you know, 3000 square foot, um, you know, gym, it doesn't matter. There is a movement culture that we're trying to change and it's eroded from PE all the way through the military, right? F five or six pull-ups would barely get you into world war two. You can be a ranger with that now, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what was basic in my grandfather's era is now considered a little bit special in, in, in our generation. <laughs> and, and we can't just keep lowering the bar. It doesn't end in a good place. It doesn't, it doesn't say a lot about protecting our borders or anything like that. When the physical state of readiness of a culture declines below X, somebody just walks in and says, nah, this is ours now. And you can't do anything about it. <laughs> Gray, all we need is the drone thumb, but you know, we just need the PlayStation controller button. Reflexes. You ping the grid, the drones go that's down that's and right, somebody's got to chop wood. <laughs> no one's got to, yeah. No one's got to charge the hill or did you dig a ditch anymore? <laughs> no, but, but, I, I, I do adapt my speak as, as with military efficiency. I know with, with military and sports, we also get politics and bureaucracy, but there is, there is something refreshing about a principle-based approach. And what's the mission here? What's the mission here? If you want to basically demonstrate a better physical culture, in your gym or in your clinic or in your hybrid of both. Um, it's got to start with you. It's got to start with your staff and it's got to start with the way that you help your community appreciate a superior service for damn near equal prices. Yeah. There will be a point where you can raise your prices, but you can't be elite until they say you're elite. Just like your child isn't a great athlete unless other people are saying it. As long as you're saying it, it don't count. You're just a parent. You're supposed to say that. But when other people say your kid is D1 college bound, eh, start listening. And when people distinguish your service, now you're elite. Now you can raise your prices. But there's a lot, a lot of people that pop right out of school and think your storefront, your equipment, and your diplomas are going to impress people. And getting their mom walking where other people couldn't is going to impress people. And getting their student-athlete out of this chronic injured reserve, sleep-deprived Red Bull thing and back into good athleticism, you know, that's, that's what you do. And so it's a slow grow, but it's an oak tree. A good uh, uh, a storm like the pandemic or an economical downswing, it won't take you out. 
you know, you'll, you'll have loyalty. You won't have to discount. It's a thing we often have to discuss within this, the bounds of the chiropractic success Academy is tactics and tricks over process and the why strategy. Or the how. Yeah. And we have a seven step process for how a chiropractor has to sort of develop their practice. And we always start with why and people always skip that step. <laughs> and it's not just the why of why you're doing this, but it's the why of why does your practice even exist in the first place? What, what is the purpose of even opening these doors? Is the purpose just to make money and retire, pay your student loans, or is there a larger purpose to what you're doing that has an impact in the community, has an impact in people's lives, has an impact um, in, in the world in general, for instance, world spine care, put a, a dent in global spine pain, the, the, the global pain, epidemic of spine pain. Um, and people seem to think it's either going to be a tip, a tip or a tactic that is going to make them successful business-wise. Like what's the hottest way to set up my Google ads? Or they think if I just do a really good job, they're all going to kind of show up. And it's That's hard like to tell That's like the tuba somebody, guy thinking he's the orchestra. <laughs> right. And it's hard to tell people it's, it's neither. It's kind of both, but it's neither. Like, you can't just do a good job anymore. You have to be like really fucking excellent. Everyone does a good job, except with their own physical fitness, right? Everyone's kind right. of failing on that level. But everybody does a good job in business. We all know how to do a good job, air quotes. You have to be really mm. excellent to distinguish yourself in order to earn the right to raise your prices or to claim that you're the best, et cetera, et cetera. And where you, the best is where you start to really like carve your existence in this whole business world. Well, let me give you a, a, a two things um, that, that I've, I've learned. Uh, number one, in that same book, The Mission, The Men and Me, uh, there's three phases of innovation that you do as you continuously reinvent yourself. And that's saturate, incubate, right? And then illuminate. Yes. And so, you know, a lot of people, they do a poor job at saturation because confirmation bias says I've already decided what I need to know instead of just exposing yourself. That's right. The incubation means uh, I've had a whole lot of people comment on movement screening in the SFMA without ever going through the process of being evaluated or even learning how to evaluate. I never clipped on the mic and commented about dry needling kettlebells or anything else, unless I already carried a credential. I didn't think that made me an expert. The guy that gave me the credentials, probably the expert, but I was at least competent with that, which I was getting ready to illuminate, criticize, modify. So I've known people that took a four minute glance at the movement screen and deleted three positions. <laughs> now, is that because they didn't know how to fix them? They didn't think they were important. Because they, if everything you see and there's in the, the, the growth and development cycle. So I think it's important. The other thing that I realized early in my practice, and, and maybe you realize this too, and this is not me being cocky, but every football team's got a quarterback and that quarterback can't win the game by themselves. However, it's nice when you've got a team to know where your leadership is. And I used to assume that being an expert made me a good leader. Being an expert might have made me a good example of a worker, but it didn't make me a good leader. 
but the original clinics that I was setting up, I was the chief, meaning that doesn't mean I boss y'all around. What that really means, and this is the hard one, is the 20% of the people that aren't easy to manage, that are creating difficulty, they go in my room. I yeah. want to see them. I called it on these others. So I set myself up early in my career as the clinic director to see the majority of new evaluations, not based on the doctor's wife or the star athlete, based on I'm going to cover the majority of people coming in here because I need to see the cross-section of our population. I would then distribute the post-surgicals to some of my uh, PT assistants that, that were great with that. I would dump some of my sports cases over to my athletic trainer. I had a few young therapists that didn't want to deal with spine stuff unless it was cut and dry. I, I did that. I directed that traffic. And I said, I want the stuff that's giving everybody headaches or the people that are have hard to manage in my room. Let me figure out what I missed in that projection, in that prognosis. That is how I became a leader, meaning the shit rolls uphill here. And so I'm never going to take somebody I wouldn't deal with and give them to you. Meaning I've got to wear every hat in this, in this organization. And it took me a long time. Start with why the Simon Sinek book forced me to go back to my movement book. Look at the 10 principles I put in there. And I'm like, heck, nobody I teach can remember all 10 of these and they can't remember them in order. Maybe that's my fault. If I can reduce all 10 of these principles to three, I can build a movement feedback loop. Number one, well comes before often. There is a qualitative minimum in biology and you can't go below it or it doesn't matter how much That's you right. bring. Okay. Number two, protect the situation before you correct it and correct the situation before you try to develop it. That means there's a lot of athletes out there getting strong that aren't even stable yet. There's a lot of athletes out there trying to get stable that aren't even mobile yet. And there's a lot of people out there trying to train that aren't even aware they got a movement problem yet. The third principle, if this is working, systemize the approach, meaning if well before often works and if protect, correct, develop work, systematize that approach. So when I leave the room, the approach continues. And what I was able to develop in the first clinics I ever developed was this no look pass. My entire staff and I were a living, breathing organism that were able to manage whatever came at us. And as long as I was the one dealing with all the, the problems, things ran pretty smooth and it made me a better leader because then I could start seeing these problems and what we need to do in advance. And so mm -hmm. what I was missing as an early therapist filled back in the way I embraced the Y balance test when Phil Plisky and I started working together, the way I modified the movement screen eight years after it was developed, the way I still continue to try to move forward with the SFMA. All these tools are trying to see tomorrow, today, and see what we can do as therapists and, and chiropractors to, to do that. So when you have a forward thinking model, that puts the responsibility of outcomes on you. And if you can't demonstrate better outcomes with superior philosophy, I know you can have better outcomes if you have more resources. Sure. With the exact same resources as most people are using, the same time in the day, the same equipment, the same educated staff, 
I was able to create a better team than almost anybody else in my state. And I had less therapists in my clinic, less DPTs in my clinic than the people we were, because you know why? It was a bunch of delicate snowflakes all thinking they were a chief. You can't have eight chiefs. Yeah. You got a chief and seven warriors, and it doesn't mean one of you is better than the other, but I led with expertise. My expertise got me the director of the clinic, got me some clinics. But taking that slice of humble pie and learning how to get put every one of these people, some people only want to do lower body extremity. Let me create an environment where you can flourish at that, but I'll never let you forget the spine because I'm going to hold you accountable to a full movement screen, even though I know you like focusing on orthotics, ankles, and knees. And we were able to create an unbelievable ecosystem, and we were about 25% more efficient than most clinics on, on the same cost to outcome ratios. And I'm like, this is all internal. This has nothing to do with the way we're billing it or anything. We're just closing cases and freeing up space quicker to not yeah. see the same patient 900 times, but 900 patients five to 10 times, you know? Right. Always comes back to the same issues though, right? Like you can have equipment, you can have systems, you can have philosophy. And then if you can't manage people, so you've got people, systems, philosophy, or why, or process, however you want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, what am I missing? There's got to be a fourth. You had a fourth. Well becomes before often. Protect before building. Systemize if the thing's working. And then what? No, it was, it was three principles. It's so only three? well before okay. often. Uh, the second principle was correct. Uh, protect before you correct. Correct before you develop. The third principle was if these things are working, if this is, if this is a really good approach, then you should be able to systematize it so the oh, authority yes, can leave the room and the culture remains, you know. Huge challenge for a lot of solo practitioners. They can't leave the room, right? <laughs> and they can't pursue the thing they love only because they have to take every single thing that walks through the door. They Well, it, but you know what? If you double down on that, in about 18 months, you should afford to at least part-time staff. And yeah. one thing that part-time time staff can do, now I can tell you what I see in the future, and this is one of the reasons I wrote the Business of Movement. We have taken everything we've learned from the movement signature of what that can imply upstream in your self-care and what that can imply downstream in your musculoskeletal prognosis, risk factors. We were able to bundle that in an app because now we know what are the risk factors uh, of musculoskeletal well. So we've got a bunch of quality-based self-movement appraisals somebody could do on an app. I can also ask you three sleep questions. And if you answer those the way I don't want you to, you're going to see a sleep survey. If you answer nutritional awareness the way I don't want you to, you're going to see a nutritional survey. And if you basically answer your breathing questions a certain way, I'm going to make you sit and do a breathing screen. All of this can be done in your living room. And before you show up at my clinic, my PA, which is an app, has already unpacked the situation. So the first time you heard about sleep was that. I'm going to be the second conversation you hear about sleep. Your BMI also got pinged. So we're going to talk about this weight loss, but we're not here to lose weight. We're here to get you feeling good enough to where it's going to fall off you without you even thinking about it. BMI will never be your focus. Movement quality will be your focus. 
and BMI will take care of itself. And so putting, since we know that people are going to spend this much screen time every day, why don't we put on their screen the things that make their self-care, their home exercise, and their access to me and my information more accessible? They could be reading one of my articles at 2 a.m. I don't have to wake up and read it to them. But yeah. yet that's that's why we've we've assembled this this archive. So I see the one off practitioner, the one off strength coach, the one off personal trainer getting overwhelmed with this holistic burden. It's not. You've got you've because got because they want help. to be there in the room face to face, holding the patient's hand, seeing them cry or seeing them smile and all that. But you've got all this technology and all this ability to be quote unquote, in their face as much as you want without actually yep. having to be there. And you know what? That moment will still occur. I do feel that the the gift of touch, uh, sure. whether it's through massage, chiropractor, sure. whatever, but people can't afford as much of that anymore. And the quality of that should be sequestered. If you do good manual therapy to me and you get me going, the reset of beautifully placed chiropractic adjustment and manipulation, physical therapy and some dry needling and strain, counter strain, fascial, all these great things are resets. Four sneezes and they'll revert right back to that suboccipital lockup where they were. The reinforcement is the piece of tape, the little spray and stretch, the little exercise video that's on their phone that they can repeat when they get home. They're not doing exercise before bed to get their heart rate up. They're dumping tension in their traps so they can sleep without their hands going numb, you know? Yeah. And, and so we can use these because it's not like we didn't used to print off the back care sheets or the home exercises and hand <laughs> them to patients. So, you know, let's make it interactive. Let's let them do their home exercise and then post a thumbs up or a thumbs down for the day. And so much of this data meaningful data, not the data insurance wants so they can deny things, but the data that actually helps me transform you is becoming more at your disposal. And so, you know, dentists figured it out a long time ago, if I can look in your mouth twice a year, you'll probably never have a cavity that's going to cause you a root canal. Um, but if you wait for the root canal, I guarantee you it's not going to be your only problem. Therefore, cleaning your teeth, the hygiene thing that insurance pays for in dental care in some plans was never done because we didn't think you were brushing your teeth. It gave us access to a bi-yearly, tri-yearly screen of your mouth. And yeah. therefore, and so dentists argued for that early. Holistic is if you give me access upstream, I will not exploit the situation. I will run a minimum of screens and I will try not to find problems that aren't obvious, right? Right. But if we as physical therapists were given the twice a year musculoskeletal well physical, how many of us would default right into a McKinsey approach, find something to work on and try to sell you two months of back care? That's not what you're supposed to do upstream. Let me screen in a binary way. Good enough, not good enough. Let me lean on the data, practice this art within scientific boundaries. And what you'll find is in a typical movement screen of people who feel fine, you will find a 20 to 30% fail rate for pain provocation. Now, this is going to blow your mind. Navy SEAL, 20%. Yeah. NFL Combine, 20%. Seventh grade PE class, 20%. Okay, so that's good. That's a good thing. 
Well, it, it's telling me it's cultural. It's that's right. It's non-specific to any. I'm not particular saying pain pop. is good. I'm just saying. Well, yeah. ibuprofen says if you if you are hurting too bad to play tennis today, pop two of these down it with some orange juice and get your ass out there with your magnetic knee strap and your Dr. Scholl's inserts, right? right? That's not sustainable, right? It's, it's, right. I mean, I don't know how many musculoskeletal patients I've had in my clinic that wound up hospitalized for a bleeding ulcer because ibuprofen became a vitamin. Right with their multivitamin and extra vitamin C was an ibuprofen every morning to avoid the knee surgery that they knew was inevitable and yeah. yet eight years in they got a bleeding ulcer and 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 you know so it's it we have so many patches to help you enable you to live uncomfortably right suffer more comfortably i guess is that the movement solution is never the suppression of pain it is the understanding that pain is a signal and as greg rose says when he's teaching our sfma workshops they're going to tell you where the pain is. That's not necessarily where the problem is. And any clinician that doesn't question that every time, all the time, is missing so many opportunities to truly be a healer. I've definitely used SFMA and the FMS to have that kind of relationship with my patients where we'd solve a problem. There's education going on throughout. And at the end, when it's time to sort of like uh, give our high fives and say, see you later, it, what we want to do here is we're going to give you a call in about six months and we're going to run through these things again and we're yeah. going to see how you're doing. And if there's nothing going on, the, the big part of you mentioned it, there's got to be a trust between the, all the parties, the stakeholders involved that when you do this test, it's not under the auspices of trying to get more care out of them. It's to see how they're doing based on the, the tests that you made important, the baselines you've made important. You try, you have to try to sort of, reintroduce baselines that matter because pain was always the baseline yeah and, and and no you're right and so so many of our decisions are influenced by the painful person not the dysfunctional person right but if we pulled all the clinicians out of their clinics and said hey you've got to we got the next wave of covid coming through you all got to be on a task force here's how we recognize covid right we got temp we got this we got this we got this every one of you has to do public service five hours a month, okay? We don't get to interact. We are screeners now. We are triage, right? Just like on the nice. outside of the tent at MASH. This guy's not gonna make it. That's what I This did guy's going to surgery. This guy's getting an IV. I hate to say that, but screening seems like such a non-clinical, callous, uh, automaton. No, screening gets people to where they need to be. There's, there was a thing in Malcolm Gladwell's book, blink where there was a goldman algorithm mm -hmm. and it was developed for the u.s navy because if a guy's clutching his chest and you think he's got angina and we're in a submarine and we're under the polar ice cap i gotta know if we got a surface to get this guy off of this sub or if this is a pepsid ac right yeah. and so there's a series of five checklists you go through well they introduced the Goldman algorithm in the Cook County Hospital ER because everybody coming in clutching their chest ain't having a heart attack and doesn't need to be clogging up this ER. Some of these people just need to see their physician in the morning. Some of these people had a spicy meal. Some of these people got esophageal erosion, right? So there's a lot of things that look like a heart attack. This checklist will tell you how to use our resources. 
the Goldman algorithm beat the physicians every way it could, not because the physicians were being um, under conservative. Physicians were putting people with chest pain in situations if they were having heart attacks when none of the other criteria stacked up. And therefore, they were overutilizing resources for some and clogging up access for others, not being able to screen and compartmentalize. So in both an orthopedic or general practice of medicine, if you don't quickly screen and compartmentalize, and we seem to do that, there's, there's even pre-diabetes now, right? There's pre-hypertension, right. there's pre-everything except low back pain. Well, if you haven't had low back pain and you, you check six out of the 15 risk factors we're looking at, you are, you are, and you're also at risk for COVID because BMI, pain with movement, ankle dorsiflexion, poor balance, asymmetrical movement patterns. But most of the new stuff we've posted for musculoskeletal risk is whole movement measured. It's not impairments. I don't care what your internal external rotation on your shoulder is. You know, I don't care what your goniometry is. If you, no matter what your goniometry is on an isolated joint, if you can't post a whole movement shape that looks like this, like this, or like this, or if you post a significant asymmetry in your balance that looks like this or this, that's a risk factor. So out of the risk factors we were working with 15 years ago for musculoskeletal, which is, you know, a lack of range of motion in the ankle, something like that, we've been able to post these whole movement signatures that forecast the future. So what do you do when you arrive at prediabetes? Do you give them a med early or do you get on the behavior and lifestyle change? Because most of this is control of lifestyle. Well, how do you get on stiff people? How do you get on unstable people? How do you get on asymmetrical people? You let them know what's coming and, and you be proactive because harm hasn't occurred yet. Most of our technology we've got to use to undo harm. But at yeah. some point, some of us have to say, we can take this and go upstream. And so, you know, that's how you're never going to get paid for screening. I use it as community outreach. Right. We would screen yeah. the football team for free. We would do all kinds of things because it gave me access to teams that were going to get injured anyway early. And I could maybe prevent a third of those just by good flexibility programs or saying, hey, get that leg press out of here. Teach your kids how to deadlift the right way. They'll be more robust. They'll be stronger and their testosterone levels will go up. You know, it's, it's yeah, just yeah. <laughs> good. And then, then when you do have the unfortunate sports medicine injury, they don't even consider where to go. You were there before the injury, trying to prevent as many as possible. When one does unfortunately occur, I built my practice on that. We covered the sports for free. We screened for free. We did just fine when the injuries came. So, yeah. Let's go back into the book and I'm going to do an experiment here. The experiment is turbo round through each parts. So you give me yes, the, sir. the biggest nuggets from each part. We'll start okay. with part one awareness. Mm -hmm. What kind of nuggets do you think people should really, really take from the awareness part of the book? I honestly think you ought to face the practices we do at Functional Movement Systems inward at your clinic, inward at your staff, take care of yourselves and fix your own problems. And you will learn how to talk about a functional outcome, a holistic process, because you've consumed the food you're trying to make them eat. So take it inside, 
bring your spouses in, bring your family in, bring a few friends of the clinic in and manage yourself in a pragmatic way for about six months. And all the shtick you will need, you will have. You won't need to listen to me on a podcast, talk about this approach because you will have lived it. And there's something in your voice that I think God implants there, a level of integrity when they know you've consumed that which you're asking them to do. And so face it inward. And if you're not successful at that, try again. Don't, don't do the billboard. Don't buy the ad. Don't use the word function in your advertisement if it's not in your bloodstream. So don't, don't ask for the script. What, yeah. what are the magic scripts for me to say? Uh, yeah. There are authentic words because you've gone through the experience yourself. Yeah. The first time I ever talked to an NFL football team, I had absolutely no prep for that but I knew how to speak to function and I knew the analogy they needed and my confidence was where it needed to be. So dealing with function will prepare you for almost any population because it's right there inside you right now. Just, just aim it and, and get used to shooting those tracer rounds on yourself first. So part two opportunities, uh, subtitled identify your non-negotiables. This is a lot about systems. Yeah. What yep. kind of what come on with with have a hot take. You didn't get here because you were not a disruptor. You're a disruptor <laughs> on many levels. But I did it in a southern way with a little bit right. of Mark Twain and charm. So people nice didn't really call me way. an asshole as quick as I could have. So <laughs> there's where we lie in opposites there. Yes. I get the ass the asshole <laughs> name quite a bit. With the same intent. It's 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 intent around love and and desire to help people see the light, right? But it, it is. My my dad, as I said, was a Methodist minister, high integrity guy. The second half of his minister career, ironically, you were talking about the, the Spine Initiative. My dad was a missionary in Honduras. Every dollar they raised, 100% of that dollar made it to Honduras. They ran a medical mission for vitamin A, uh, worming and detox. They had an eyeglasses clinic. They had a, a expectant mother um, show them how to manage hygiene and raise their toddlers. Basically keeping parasites down and keeping vitamin A in the diet prevented a lot of cleft lip and palate and yeah. neurological disorders. So number one, what's the biggest problem here? All right. Vitamin A deficiency, parasite, and we've got eyeglasses going in a dumpster that could help somebody out there. So we need an eye refractor. So the opportunity my dad saw was more toddlers die in Honduras than anywhere else in our hemisphere. That's where we go. Because when a toddler dies, a mom never fully recovers. So yeah. way more than one life is lost here. That's where he is. And that's what they did. Could they have done more? Of course, but he went right to the bare roots of it. So when you look for opportunities in your community, I'm not saying look for financial opportunities, but if the booster club needs you to speak about ankle sprains, you be there. If a weight loss club wants you to comment, you be there, but give them the system. Don't tell them what they want to hear. Tell them the truth in a kind way. And the opportunities will start rolling around. You just, but don't hide the truth. Tell them exactly, but tell them with love. And, and the fact that you've already done it means you're probably going to get one or two people that will partake. They're going to do the rest of the marketing for you. Watch and see. That's right. That's right. I tell our people this stuff all the time, especially when it comes to marketing. 
And that's why you start with why, because when you start with why, you know why you're speaking the language you're speaking. And then when you get into the hows, you do it from your perspective and you're going to attract or gain the interest of people who like what you're saying. That's the whole, they like the way you say it and they right. like what you're saying. Then you don't have to do all the stuff because the well, people see, trust that's, you. That's where, where I got it from Simon Sinek. The why in, in functional movement systems is well before often. The how is protect, correct, develop. The what is if you don't systematize it, it dies with you. Yeah. It never grows. So you will never see passive income from your work if you're a one person show. It's okay if that's what you want to do, right? If you want to touch every person start to finish that you want to help. But, you know, I'm a disruptor. I want to empower way more clinicians to do this because I always know we will have clinicians that don't, right? right? Right. You will always be able to distinguish yourself. My job isn't to convert everybody. I can't, you know, Moses never saw the promised land either, but it didn't mean he didn't make a difference. So <laughs> they're early adopters and those early adopters switch the majority. I'll never get access to the majority of clinicians that wish to practice holistically because they're, they're just not waking up, planning on working that hard. Early adopters are asking for it they're the cool people. They're the top guns. They're the leaders. My job is to empower them. Their job is to create teams. Those teams change the world. That's right. That's perfect. Uh, for those that have not read the book yet, the opportunity portion of the book, the part two is large. So that's probably why we're not getting into a whole bunch of specifics. Um, in other words, read the damn book. Part three, examples subtitled turning pro mm -hmm. so you've you've uh you've you've been you've put yourself under the ability to be saturated and to experiment and to right. try these things out for yourself you now you know what it feels like to go through the process what someone who, who was going to go under the process under your tutelage under your observation what they're going to experience you know how to communicate it you also know how to communicate it on your terms, not trying to impress, not trying to sell, but trying to serve uh, and serve enough that people are willing to pay you for your services. Now you need to become a professional. You don't get to be a professional until you've done those things. Now it's time to become a professional in this process. What are the what are some hot takes, some nuggets you can give about turning pro? Well, um, the best examples I can give are we've got a chiropractor that became unbelievably efficient. We've got a strength coach that introduced the FMS and had a nine-year run as the least injured team in the NFL. We've got a fire chief who basically took millions off workman's comp simply by screening people prior to the firefighter academy and then following that movement signature through who got injured the most and who got injured the least. Uh, we got Eric Dugati that's gone everywhere from personal training to the 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 Giants and managed the, the team for FMS and using FMS principles while the whole time Eli Manning was there. And so what I try to do is I'm not just telling you how I did it. I didn't take the FMS to the SEAL teams. I yeah. didn't do that. Somebody got good enough at the FMS and saw a window introduced to the SEAL teams and then we were there to support them with data, resources, and ways to manage. I didn't take the NF, uh, the movement screen in the NFL. A strength coach did that, not an athletic trainer, not a chiropractor, and not a PT, right? 
Shame on us. A strength coach showed us how to change a straight state of readiness. But what I had to do was teach them how can you play the whole movement model to make your day better, to make your team more solidified and to make your outcomes more proud. I mean, you should be proud of your outcomes, you know, and not for advertisement purposes, not, not so you can post it on a billboard or anything like that. That pride is what gets you employee retention. It's what gets you Christmas cards. It what gets physicians saying, Hey, how do I get my patients in your clinic? That just happens. But there's stores. Yeah, there's about an 18 month thing. I remember Lee Burton early in our career. He was my head athletic trainer. He's now the CEO of FMS. He said, you know, this is a way better year than last year. (laughs) Why is that Lee? Well, man, we got like six articles published. The clinic's booming. uh, The sports teams are really buying in. Everything's going smooth. And I'm like, that's because last year was hard. We were, we were in the clinic at eight o'clock at night, finishing an article and resubmitting it. We were doing screens on Sunday morning. This year is what is we're reaping from, from last year. And it's just, it just, a lot of people can't wait for that turnaround. So, I mean, you got to realize the consumption rate on YouTube right now is what four and a half seconds before. (laughs) So it's really hard to get somebody to wait 18 months to be better. But why do you think seal training takes that long? Why do you think a BS degree takes that long? Why is chiropractic not an 18 month certificate? Because you've got to incubate, you got to incubate, (laughs) but out the other side comes illumination when you put it all together. And it's not just making your patients learn chiropractic so they can get better. It's never mentioning glute medius, but changing their single leg stance. They don't need to learn anatomy to walk better, you know? It's but I, know, I, I catch a lot of people intimidating their athletes, their clients and patients by, by talking about the meat bag, not about movement. Don't talk parts to your people. Let them point at parts. Let them talk parts to you. You talk patterns and behaviors to them, and you'll you will be the the hub of their movement experience. Three, Don't, yeah, three, three P's: parts, patterns, people. Talk patterns. <laughs> talk, talk people. I, I'm team people, so I'm like I talk people yeah. most of the time. Yeah. Uh, and this this final uh, part, um. You know, we're talking about measuring what matters, building your community, changing culture, building your team, scaling the business, being transformational, not transactional. That is the business of movement. That is business. We we don't need to talk nuts and bolts. You know, somebody who is also an influencer was like, what is your plan for 2023, 2024? What kind of things are you going to do? You're going to do Instagram. You're going to do uh, YouTube. What kind of things are you going to do? I don't know if I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to people like Gray Cook. I'm just going to talk. And I, I do this twice a month. So you, you're not doing the, you got to email people once a week. No, I don't. No, I don't. Like yeah. This profession, movement, these things, the paint dries very slowly. The leaves change color very slowly. There's nothing, there's nothing new to bring to this other than there are parts, patterns, and people. You don't right. have to. You don't have to reinvent anything. You don't have to keep talking about everything. You just have to keep kind of observing. I'm, I'm on such you know, an observing phase right now. I just want to observe and soak in as much as I can. And then I will do, as my wife knows, 
this moment where I will go into the dark with the beat laboratory and I'll think about it and I will come out with something. <laughs> exactly. Illumination. That's right. And, 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 and I, I think that's rewarding because the information in that book I sat on for about four years. I never intended to write a movement book and my publisher asked me to. And the first iteration looked a lot more like maybe Tom Plummer would like it more like a business plan. And, and yeah. I'll be honest with you, Lee and I were <laughs> a multi-million dollar company before we had a business plan. But you Tom did that already. Education. Those books are perfect the way they are. They don't have to yeah. be reinvented. Go read no, no, no. Book. I mean, you need you need you need to manage inventory. You need to have a bookkeeper. A good <laughs> storefront doesn't hurt. You got to be polite. If you got ten percent more cancellation at your receptionist, I mean, that's all. I yeah. get that. But on the other side of that, I think you're absolutely right. If you spend your time developing the movement story, the way you want to heal, change movement, if you develop that, Instagram and YouTube will find you. Right? I'm still. I, I still think it's funny when my daughter types my name into Google and a bunch of stuff comes up and, and I didn't, I didn't post most of it, but I honestly think if, if you focus on the job and then the mission, the media will find you because they're looking for bad and good stuff to talk about. So don't do bad stuff, do yeah. lots of good stuff. You'll get talked about. It'll be fine. <laughs> and Speaking you won't of, have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the original movement book, I noticed as a consumer of that book and, and also um, Tim Ferriss's book where you were interviewed that the process of the screen and the, the way you even talked about movement in general evolved since the book was published. And I, sometimes I think that frustrates people because they want the book to be this codified, solidified, done deal. And movement was never a done deal after the book was written. How has, since you've written the business of movement, how has your ideas that you wrote in the business of movement, how have they evolved or changed since it was published? Well, number one, I get a little sarcastic as a people that said that I'm like, you got an iPhone three, right? Right. Oh, you got yeah. the 14. Okay. So, <laughs> right. So if Steve jobs and Apple and all these people who are making your devices can constantly upgrade and improve, let's be honest are these devices that much better or are they just more idiot proof? Right? right. Okay. So I have run into a slippery slope. Einstein said, make it as simple as possible, but no simpler. It, I led, I think probably pushing more people toward expertise than wanted to be there, but they wanted to be highly competent. They wanted to be the Sergeant major, not the general. They wanted to be the backup quarterback, not the quarterback. I assumed everybody wanted to be Maverick and fly faster than everybody else. But in doing that, I made myself dot every I cross every T and really try to develop some movement models at each phase of both rehabilitation, strength, conditioning, training, whatever. Going back now and realizing that we can collect data easier, I realize there's going to be a camera-based movement assessment, but I'd like to influence that because we're not just looking for goniometry while you're standing. We're trying to capture signatures of risk and dysfunction and do something meaningful with those. And the second thing that I think is, is very important is I don't ever want anybody to think we built a test so we could practice it. Meaning, if you've got bad single leg stance, 10 years ago, 
we put you on an Airx pad and make it harder for you to do single leg stance and think making single leg stance harder makes it better. Now I take you to half kneeling or developmental and rebuild and grow single leg stance from the place it came from, which was the floor. If you can't get up off the floor, then part of the reason you can't balance on one foot is in there. And that's safe and it's practical. And it's how you installed the app of standing the first time as you rolled around on the floor and came up. And orthopedically, we cease to do that sometimes. We, because we're good with anatomy and because we can replace ligaments and joints and stuff like that, we go right on that and don't look at the other stuff. So what I've tried to do is embrace the, the maybe slightly less attention span, maybe a slightly quicker need for validation and say, just because you didn't come through the generation of learning movement the hard way doesn't mean I got to make you do it the, the hard way. It means I can basically give you an on-ramp that shouldn't intimidate you. And when we've got something like FMS1 and FMS2 and SFMA1 and SFMA2, we got to look at the conversion rate. How many people go from the entry-level education to a higher-level education and... Uh, do something with that, you know? And so I'm constantly trying to make the movement signature as easy as possible without losing anything. And so if you see a lot of the adjustments, a lot of time it's to get the same information in a cleaner, more consistent, more user-friendly way. So. Well, I think the irony there is that people would also change the way they speak in their own practices too over time. Yeah, uh, it changes the way I speak in my head. I really try to develop a better way to talk about a movement problem. But I end up talking more about patterns and behaviors than I do parts. And patterns each person is going to need that in a different way. But you meet them there, you know. Finally, as we approach the finish line, mm -hmm. the landing wheels are down. What resources how are you guys going to support the adopters the ones who want to jump in here and take what is in the business of movement and try to convert it into actual living kinetic energy inside their practices because it's intimidating to read a book of this nature for i mean i, I really only speak for the chiropractors but they learn how to practice a certain way. They add a couple new things and then they, they read like there's this whole, there's a whole new chapter. There's a whole new world that I, they need to, they should, they have to, however you want to look at it. It's how they felt like, oh my God, I got to add these elements to my practice. And they have a hard time sort of um, uh, incorporating all those things. What support? measures do you guys have set up for these folks? Well, I, I try to mentor them and we have mentorship groups and things like that, but I really start with an empowerment. If they're passionate about this movement model, but they constantly are trying to get the whole clinic, the team on board, you've got to meet them where they are. And so I say, find something in that book that you can execute. And please find an assessment you can add. I'm not advising you buy a laser, start dry needling, or start manipping in a different way. 
but take a more functional signature during intake and use that same process on exit and ask yourself, am I changing everything I want to change? And if not, where are you lacking? Because you might be great with backs, but really bad with ankles. We, when I get somebody with a stiff ankle, I don't think I can ever get full resolution. I never, I don't think that person's ever going to deep squat, watch and see. So my whole point is don't implement any modalities whatsoever at my request in that book. Add one functional measure that seems appropriate for your practice, just one global movement signature and ask yourself, could I influence this better? You don't do anything yet. Just take that sample. And what you find is a lot of our patients that come in with a top tier SFMA that looks like X leave moving the same way with less pain, which means you did what they ask you to do. You got rid of the pain. But if you didn't get rid of the risk factors, they're going to be back. And at some point, they're going to lose confidence in that what you're doing. So what I would say is implement a functional measure somewhere at intake and somewhere at exit. And if you're proud of the influence that you're creating, you might not have to do anything else I said in the book. But if you were to know that most people that get treated by people following our model not only get their symptoms resolved, but in the same time have less risk factors like asymmetries in their movement pattern, weak grip strength on one side, locked up ankle, poor, poor, ba poor balance or something like that. You've got to take what we call the DNs, the dysfunctional non-painful patterns off the palate. Many times it will speed up rehab and all the time it will reduce risk at discharge. They're going to get, if you're working with an active population, they're going to get another injury, but don't be satisfied if it's the same injury over and over. You left, you left that sandwich unmade. You left, some, <laughs> left that situation undone. So add a functional measure at the beginning, at the exit. See if you're satisfied with the, result, with the results. See if you think you could do better and, and go from there. Perfect. Um, I got a 900. Uh, I think I'm on my 900th hour of talking to you, so I'm going to give you a 900-hour mug. It's in the mail. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> um, uh, do you think you got anything else to add? Uh, there's a lot for people to digest here. We have in the making, in the rumor mill, some sort of part two that we might be working on here where people who have read the book can come in and ask you some more poignant, specific questions about the book, about the approach, uh, and about these things that we are calling like movement. They're the canary in the coal mine. They are pre-pain, pre-back pain, pre-movement pre difficulty. And, and, yes. the, and so we want to have people discuss how that shows up in their practices and in their own lives and how, how they can approach it as well. So that's in the rumor mill. It doesn't count no, until we actually do it. And it'll go better if we have a little friction, because if this were easy, everybody would do it. It's simple. It's yeah. not easy, you know, and, and just for those people interested in maybe some outreach, we did a podcast with a guy named Mike Contreras, a firefighter who yeah. implemented movement screening and created an industrial model and a first responder model. And if you're looking to outreach somewhere, we got to take care of these people. So if you've got any type of uh, 
altruistic or, or, you know, want to give back, start with our first responders, start with police, start with the firefighters in your own community. Let them listen to that podcast. All you got to do is get movement screen certified and lean in. Almost everything you need to do is on that podcast from there. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a, it's a no brainer. If you want to do it in athletics and sports and with youth, we've got world-class strength coaches and PTs on about that as well. So there are a lot of people on our podcast that will really show you how they got it done. And many of the people in the book are on the podcast as well. So you can hear them, hear them talk about those stories in depth, but uh, the movement models coming. And I just want as many people who you and I can influence to be prepared for it because the business will be there. It's coming. The, the yeah. consumer asked for better nutrition about 10 years ago and the shelves in grocery stores changed. You can't find trans fat anymore. You can, you can, you can buy marijuana, but you can't buy trans fat, right? That's right. Because, but food scientists knew that stuff was bad for us for 30 years and didn't do a thing about it. Well, let's blow the whistle on movement, have the consumer ask for a better movement outcome. Let's be ready when they do. Excellent. I look forward to talking to you again very soon. I'm looking forward to that as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, brother.